Are you tired of waking up with a dry mouth, feeling sluggish? I was too, until I discovered the power of mouth taping. I read a book called Breathe and it opened my eyes to how I could get a better sleep. So I started taping my mouth and the results were astounding. Not only did I wake up feeling refreshed, but the data on my whoop suggested I was getting more REM and more deep sleep, which led to me feeling better every morning. But I wanted a better solution, not just sticky tape, something that was effective and comfortable. That is why I co-founded Recoverite with a few friends. We are dedicated to helping Australians get fast and easy access to mouth tape and nose tape so you can breathe better, sleep better and recover right. Use the discount code TMTCP for 10% off at the checkout. Sleep better with recover right. I actually gained a lot of confidence from that. To actually go out to a pub and not drink for me, that was probably one of the biggest things that gave me a lot of confidence to, because if you look at it when you're in a pub or you're in a bar, you're around a lot of people. So you feel like, all eyes are on you when you're sober. You feel like people know Literally that you're not drinking. The Man That Can Project podcast, a podcast empowering career-driven men to live more fulfilling lives. We are here to challenge your beliefs, redefine success, and talk about the important stuff in a relatable way. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. My name's Lockie Stewart. Let's get into it. Say no. Oh, hey, brother. Hey, you going, man? Thanks for having me on. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we could make it happen. We, happen. So we connected originally through Instagram, which is one of the greatest places to stalk and meet people. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, who's this handsome man with the mullet? But I had heard of heard rumors of an amazing feat you were about to attempt and have since absolutely smashed. And we went for a run one day and uh, – you know, obviously got to know you, a high-energy individual. I was training for the World Champs. You were training for 36 Ironmen in 36 days. Uh, sorry, half Ironmen. Half, half come on, yeah. <laughs> not, not fools yet. <laughs> half still phenomenal. Can you dive into, firstly, share with people what the hell a half Ironman is and more about what made you want to do it originally? Yeah, yeah. So a half Ironman is a 1.9K swim a 90k bike ride and then a 21.1k run every single day for 36 days so yeah um pretty much the first motivator that actually got me into the triathlon space was the iron cowboy um and he done over there he done 50 states of america in 50 days 50 full ironmans and yeah so for me it's a short time ago um, when i actually got into this sort of space so i've only been doing triathlon now for about a year and a half, I guess. So relatively short time. <laughs> Eighteen <laughs> months, and then you've probably done more in a month than most have done their whole life. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of, I was like, well, what's the first goal? Because um, I look at um, someone like the Iron Cowboy as that was the thing that got me into it, and I was like, I'd love to chase that record of of his of the full Ironmans. Um, so yeah, I was like, well. Yeah, you don't really, you can't jump straight to that, only doing it for a, a year and a half. So I jumped to, into the half Ironman record, um, which is now 36. So yeah, I just got after that. And yeah, so it was um, a pretty good little mm. feat to get after. And yeah, that's just how it all started. And once I got that idea in my head, um, yeah, just trained really hard to get my body in a, my body and my headspace in a, in a space that I could actually achieve that. You said, obviously, you've just been about 18 months in the, I guess, dual athlete sport or triathlete sport. 
realm, had you done any challenges like that in the past or any any crazy shit like that before or was it just the first time? Nah, nah. So this is pretty much the first thing. Um, I guess if you look at it, I've done 75 hard. It's probably one of the hardest things I've done before that. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I just used to be a pretty – pretty normal Aussie dude. I used to play rugby league. Um, that was pretty much my whole life growing up, like seven days a week. I'd either be coaching or playing. Um, and then, yeah, also just I used to be pretty much a general dude, so I'd get on the piss every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day it was, I'd just be on the piss and playing footy. And, yeah, when I made this <laughs> whole change, it just everything completely changed about my life. It's actually it's very funny now looking back at the lifestyle I used to live. I feel like I've already lived two different lives and I'm more, only 25, like, so it's, it's crazy how big of a change you can have in under two years. What was the catalyst for the change? So most people, you know, I was a very similar age. I was about 24 when I had my shift. And I think yourself and myself are probably anomalies for, for that age. What was it for you that made you shift? Um, for me, it was just a sort of, I guess, I was always driven by the building. So um Growing up, I was a, a carpenter, got my builder's license, and I'd always was aiming for those next goals. So when you're sort of growing up, you can go, all right, first-year apprentice, second-year apprentice, third-year apprentice, go and get your builder's license. So I always had those next goals to chase after me. Um, and sort of being in a small town, that was just a normal thing to do. So you go get your builder's license, you play footy, you drink piss. And, yeah, that was that was pretty much just the norm for me that I sort of saw as a, a normal life. Um, and then, yeah, I actually – my sister brought home, well, she gave me the Andy Frizzella podcast to listen to one day and she, uh, he was talking about 75 hard and I was like, that is so stupid. I was like, that is just, I was like, it's not even healthy to do two workouts a day and I was trying to make <laughs> up all these excuses of why it wouldn't be good to do. And then, yeah, slowly but surely it just started chipping away at me day by day and I think I probably listened to his podcast for like two months before I even done it and I was like, oh, I'll just give it a try. I was like, there's no no harm in trying. I was like, I probably won't ever do the 75 days because like I even, I think the year before I tried to do dry July and I failed twice in the one month to not drink for a month. So I was like, I'm not going to go 75 days not drinking. I was like, I'll just, I'll, I'll start and then see how far I get and yeah, go from there. And pretty much once I got into it, I really gave myself, set myself the challenge of doing the 75 days not drinking, but actually also going out and having fun. And so, yeah, every time that someone would invite me to go out, I made sure that I was still going out to the pubs or going out to the parties and everything like that. And I found that I was actually having just as much fun, but I'd also remember the night out as well. So, yeah, that really just drove it home to me that I don't have to drink to be having fun. And, yeah, it led to a whole new healthy lifestyle that I could actually wake up on a Sunday morning and go for a run or go for a swim or a bike ride. And, yeah, since then, it's just been a complete change. It's pretty cool how you just decided to do something. You maybe didn't have full confidence in yourself to get it done, but from that initial let's just give the 75 harder crack, you then also saw some other, I guess, areas in your life that you wanted to improve upon. One thing that I struggled with that I related to what you just said was when I, you know, wanted to cut back drinking and my partying, I wish I had the balls to continue going out and go out mm. sober, but I just couldn't do it, dude. I had the rubber arm. So yeah, when yeah. I, I heard you talk about it on another podcast, and I was like, this dude's awesome. Like He identifies, <laughs> like you see these areas that you would love to improve upon, but you don't alter your life to do it. It's just like you build it into your life, which for me, that's how you make sustainable change. 
Yeah. And now, like, I even look at my lifestyle. I don't go out anymore, but it was for me to make that change. And I actually gained a lot of confidence from that. To actually go out to a pub and not drink for me, that was probably one of the biggest things that gave me a lot of confidence to, because if you look at it when you're in a pub or you're in a bar, you're around a lot of people. So you feel like all eyes are on you when you're sober. You feel like people know that you're not drinking. You, you yeah. walk around, you're like, oh, they know I'm not drinking. Everyone knows that I'm not drinking. So <laughs> for, me to, for yeah. me to gain that confidence, I then was able to take that into social settings um, of, say, a run club or anything like that and actually to be able to just go around and talk to people. Whereas before that, I used to rely on alcohol to actually, if there was a crowd of anything more than three, four or five people, <laughs> I felt like I had to be drinking to talk to everyone. Yeah, man, I can relate to that so much. Like my social anxiety wouldn't even call it anxiety, but I was just an awkward dude. I still am to, to a degree, <laughs> but it's that, it's that exact thing. I needed to hold something in my hand. And originally it was like, a, you know, it's a smoke back in the day, so I'd always have a durry in my hand. Yeah. And then once I managed to kick, kick that, it's like, all right, I've got to have a beer. And it's like I didn't even enjoy, enjoy it half the yeah. time. It was, just, it, it was like my blanket, man. Like when you had the teddy growing up, you just hold on to that and go, I'm safe. And then, you well, know, well, act like a dickhead afterwards. A hundred percent. Well, one of my things was when I actually did stop drinking for, for a bit, I used to just get um, a soda water and lime. So I was like, mm. oh, if people think that I've got a vodka lime soda, I was like, they they won't think that I'm not drinking. So I'd walk around just carrying a, a glass of soda water and lime in there, hoping that people thought I was drinking vodka sodas. <laughs> so, mate, s- smart. It's like it's trying to make things more you know, frictionless, I guess, if you're trying to create change, obviously, you know, you've got to deal with it yourself mentally, but then also the environment. So it could be your friends or your colleagues. And even now I've got like non-alcoholic beers in the fridge. And I said to my mate yesterday, I was on the phone. I was like, man, I've never had beers in my fridge my whole life ever. Yep. But we're obviously in a new town. We're socializing a lot and meeting a lot of people. And I was just hitting the piss, not heavy, but drinking most nights. And I was like, what am I doing? Yeah, so yeah. to get on the front foot because we've got people coming over, so I'm just going to keep the beers in the fridge, non-alcoholic ones, because then I don't have to drink what other people are bringing over. It's just like I'm prepared for the socialising, but rather than you know doing what well, I don't necessarily want to do, I'm good to go. Yeah, well, that's it. You're setting yourself up for success. Like if you don't have those there and then someone <laughs> comes over and they bring their, a carton of beer around, then you're going to drink their beer. So if you've got your beers of non-alcoholic beers in the fridge, you're going to drink it. Let's take a quick break. Are you seeking to understand who you are, what you want from life, and where you fit into this busy world? The Man That Can Project Self-Discovery Program is the program to help you answer those questions. This program with three comprehensive modules helps you get clear on who you are as a man, what you want from your life, and where you can set yourself up to thrive. Throughout this program, you're going to dive deep on some of the life's questions that only the most successful people ever spend time to answer. It's not only about standing out in this busy world, but it is using your life experiences to create a better life for yourself. I know that I wish I had this when I started my journey. It would have helped me fast track success and get clear on what was truly important. Once you complete this program, you're gonna have a better sense of direction and purpose for your life. You will have more confidence and resilience and a complete roadmap to create the life that you want. Don't wait for tomorrow. Start today. Head over to themanthatcanproject.com and check out the self-discovery program. I can promise you, your life will never be the same. Exactly. 
And so diving back into to your story, sorry to bloody hijack it a bit. Now. No, no, I love so, it, mate. I love talking about that sort of stuff. I think it's something that needs to be shared more because so many people get such anxiety around that, I reckon. Definitely. And look, to pull that apart then while we're here, it's for me, and I'm sure it might have been the same for you, Lane, when you recognise that you needed that as a safety blanket or, or to make you feel comfortable, it's then about asking yourself, why do you need it? For me, I felt, as I said before, it's like sometimes I feel like I'm socially awkward. I don't know the right things to say. Maybe I don't feel like I have value to add. So it's like, okay, well, why is that? And that, then it comes back, you're peeling these layers back and it's like, oh, I don't believe in myself or I don't think I'm worthy. Okay, well, that's the issue, not the alcohol. No, the alcohol is a, yeah. a symptom. Yep, big time. What was it like, you know, obviously going through that transition probably did you lose a lot of friends along the way? Yeah, yeah, it's actually – and it's – I don't blame it on them, but it's also probably me not being the way that I used to be as well. Like when I used to drink, I would say I was pretty I was pretty wild. Like I'd go out there, I was pretty carefree, and I wouldn't really give a shit about everything. But I think it's one thing you notice as well when you actually stop drinking, maybe about the way that people are perceiving themselves when they're drunk. Like you look at – I've found – I had a lot of mates that I'd been out with since I was 17, 16, and I'd never thought they were a dickhead when they were drinking. And then as soon as I stopped drinking for like a month or two, I'm like, holy shit. I was like, I can't believe that you hang around these people. And you, and it's, it's all, you think you're just having a good time and nothing's too serious, but you look at some of the stuff that they're doing and you're like, that's, that's taken too far. So yeah, yeah. I definitely um, have lost like and like I said, it's 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 a part and part. Like I think it's also my doing as well. But yeah, I definitely had a lot of mates that haven't reached out to me, and I haven't reached out to them because it's just we've gone in separate paths. Like they look at my lifestyle and think that's not a lifestyle that I want to live, and I also now look at their lifestyle and think that that's the lifestyle that I don't want to live. So I guess it's one of those things. But now I've also put myself in a situation where I've made since like I've moved, lived up in Brisbane for seven months now, and I'd have to have. Well, the last day of my challenge, I had 100 people rock up. So in a space of seven months, I've went and met at least 100 people, if not more, that I actually <laughs> call really yeah. good friends and great people to be around. So, yeah, when you can do something like that, um, and it's all just about changing your environment, really. That's one thing that people struggle with is changing their environment. It's, you know, we don't like being alone. We don't like feel, feeling like we're not a part of something that, you know, it's like the crab in the bucket mentality when, crab's trying to get out all of the other ones are pulling it back in 100 so for you the key to your success there was obviously well how, how did you get that new network then can, can i can we start there? Well, like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so yeah i found that through running so um and this is just like another thing and it's just crazy how quick it can go from one length to it to the next so um pretty much last year i decided to do a 100k run at mount kosciuszko um which was just I, like yeah that was out of nowhere so i went from running the longest run i'd done before that was 23k and then i decided to do a 100k run through mount kosciuszko um and then when i done mount kosciuszko i met a group of people that owned a run club up in gold coast and brisbane um and whilst i was still living in sydney down there so i met them at well about halfway through december during the run so we talked to talk to them for about an hour or two um, over the run and then they're like oh you should come up when the next time you're up in brisbane or gold coast like you should come and do the run club and then literally two weeks later over christmas new year's i was one of my best mates he'd went to he'd went away and 
all my friends were, were gone. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drive up to Brisbane. So I packed my swag in the back of my ute, drove up to Brisbane, and there's a run club called Mega Run. And yeah, within the space. So I've done that on New Year's Eve, and then I've done the Mega Run in Gold Coast um, on the New Year's Day. Met my current girlfriend, met all my best mates that I've got up here at the moment within the space of like something that I just look at and I go, I never would have done that a year ago. I never would have just driven up in my ute. I was camping along like all the beaches. Like um, I think at one stage I was at Mermaid Beach and I was literally camping on the beach and both the houses next to me were both worth 15 million. And I was really got my swag rolled out on the, wow. yeah. <laughs> so um, like I was just up here just living, like just doing stuff that I just found a bit uncomfortable, but I look at it now and I'm like, that's probably like the biggest change that I've, I could have had in my lifestyle. So from moving, and then I decided to move up here after I met all those people. Um, so I lived up here. Um, then I did, there was a stage where I was actually running those run clubs. So I got to meet so many more new people and yeah, no, nah, it's just been a real, from one sort of thing that you go out and you think that's going to be impossible to do, which was for me was the hundred K run to do. Um, has just completely changed my life. If I think that's probably one of the biggest days that has completely changed the trajectory of my life. So just say yes to shit, like shit that you think you might enjoy. A hundred percent, yeah. And that's like even now in a week and a half's time, I'm doing a 60K run for Movember through Brisbane. Um, yep. I haven't really done much running since the challenge and I'm like, I think 60K is probably going to suck a lot for me at the moment. But I was like, you know what, just say yes to it. And you never know. There's probably going to be people that you're going to meet during that that have also just said yes to doing it. And then you just make those friendships. And I think doing stuff like that really puts you out of your comfort zone. And you think, oh, I'm probably going to be the only one doing that. But you're not. A lot of those people that are in those environments are all putting themselves out of their comfort zone. So you get that commonality through there. Yeah, there's something fun about doing those hard things. Oh man, it's like, it's really addictive. I find it <laughs> definitely. And and for some people, it literally might be a five k for them. And obviously, every time you break this this ceiling of what you think is possible for yourself, it's like for you now sixty k. You're like, yeah, no worries. Like it'll yeah. suck, but you're fairly confident in your ability. And that's the beautiful thing about pursuing the hard shit. A hundred percent. And that's like one of my things now. Like I've got a little podcast for myself, and it's called what's your crazy and it's all about just helping people find what is their crazy goals like i look at myself and i might go out over the top but then like you said for someone that's doing a 5k run or for some people it's even just getting off the couch and going for a 10 minute walk so i just think that Mm. everyone should invest in their own crazy like some people as for music it's whatever whatever and it's like go out and do that thing that you enjoy because even though you think people might look at you people really don't care like like I said, when I finished my challenge, two days after I'd finished my challenge, I was like, oh, there was such all this hype around it. Two days later, I was just a normal human. So I look at yeah. that. If you go and do whatever you want to do, people are still going to look at you the exact same way. That's the thing, eh? Like you can never, and whether people judge you or not, who gives a shit? I went to, on a ghost tour last night. Like some, my missus, I don't know if your missus loves like true crime or if you love it, <laughs> true crime and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, last night was a date night and we tried to get into a jazz bar, it was booked out. We tried to get in the comedy, it was booked out. And Amy's like, there's this ghost tour on at nine o'clock. I was like, let's let's do it. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was like good fun, man. Anyway, once we get into like just near Broadway, like the busy part of the town, 
there's people everywhere like socializing and all of us like our tour guide just was so invested in ghosts and whatnot yeah. and all of a sudden all of a sudden i noticed that i was worried about what these people were thinking about me they're like is this guy a loser because he's doing a ghost tour and exactly. that, i had to laugh to myself when that happened because i was like it doesn't stop like anyone who thinks they're ever going to not give a shit about what people think i kid themselves but it's just the difference between whether you're going to allow that to hold you back or not is and the that's difference. the thing like you could ask all those people where whoever you're walking past 99.999 percent of them probably never even noticed you like they're just doing what? their own thing. Come on, yeah. mate. No. <laughs> You're a good looking sort, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that so what from your podcast, Sam, with um what's your crazy, what has been, I guess, two or three things that you've enjoyed learning about that? Well, yeah, like I I've really enjoyed learning about how different people actually perceive their crazy. Um because yeah, for me, like I've always been a goal driven person. And I've enjoyed about sort of taking those stepping stones of going to the next thing. And, but for, for me to realize that that's not everyone's mentality, a lot of people are, can get stuck in the, the everyday rut. So a lot of them, it's just like a crazy goal for them is just to sort of live the life that they actually want to live. And for me, I'm like, oh, that just comes normal to me. Like I'm, I'm happy to chase after dreams that I want to go after. But for someone else, that, that seems really crazy. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things that, it's all about I've learned to put myself in other people's shoes a lot more, I think. Yeah, that's beautiful. And for yourself, then, you, you obviously mentioned living a, I guess, a life by design. You're happy to chase that. Yeah. Where has, I guess, the motivation and the courage come to do that? Because I would say a lot of people listening feel that's courageous because the safe option, the one that we get educated to to live is so different to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's sort of funny. Like I think I've probably been the one to break the mold of that, I guess, in my family. Um, like my pop, he's 70, 75 or 76, and he's still working a 70-hour week. Like he, the day that he stops working, he'll drop dead. Like he just... He's just yep. driven to work and he loves it. And then my parents, they've sort of just started to like slowly get away from that work scene as well and actually chase their dreams. So for me, um, awesome. yeah, and that's like I love it now because I think if I probably wasn't the one to start talking about all this stuff about me moving to Brisbane to go and live a lifestyle of being active and actually going and doing the stuff that I want, I think that they probably would have just stayed working for the rest of their lives as well whereas now they've just went and brought a caravan to drive around australia and to have a like have a gap year and whatnot and i I really think that for me it was i sort of worked really hard from the ages of probably 15 was when i started on this job site so from the ages like 15 to 22 like i was working six seven days a week um 10 12 hour days in the sun whatever in the cold whatever it was and i was so used to that and then I sort of realized that I wasn't overly happy and I didn't feel like I was fulfilled and I felt like I was just doing it to get by day by day. Um, and then it come to a stage where I was starting to invest in property and I really wanted to go down the route of actually being a property investor, um, mm. like a buyer's agent, so buying investment properties for people. 
And this is where I was like, oh, that would be so good. And I was actually like 99% signed up for the army at this stage. And then my old boss, he actually offered me a job to come in as a buyer's agent. And I was like, oh, I was waiting up the two, but I was like, I really want to do this buyer's agent job. So I went to this job and I was like, I was so passionate about it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And within the space of like four or five months, I was like, oh, this wasn't what it was painted out to be. Like I was really actually shocked. And I was like, I was like, I was working with a lot of successful people as well. Um, some people that like had, I guess, materialistic things like their Ferraris and everything like that. So I was buying them investment properties. But for that, for me, was a big realization to see that money doesn't buy happiness. Like a lot of these people had a lot of money and they were always trying to screw people over for the next $1,000, $2,000, whatever it was. And they weren't happy themselves. Like you could, you could tell by every time I'd ring them on the phone, it was like there was this big drama of whatever it was. They'd always have this thing in their life that they weren't happy about. And then for me, that was the biggest realization to think, holy shit, like why are all these people working for money and they're never achieving happiness in their life? And there's been a study done on this and it's like people, they ask people how much money would make you happier? And mm. 99% of the answers is three times much more money. So it's like I could be earning 50 grand a year and they ask me, it's like, oh, if I had 150 grand a year, I'd be happy. And then you go and ask that person making 150 grand a year, they say 450,000. So everyone's thinking that money's going to make them happy when it doesn't. You've got to find value in yourself to make yourself happy. Spot on. I think the number even originally when they did that study as well was like 75 grand a year. This is yeah. US, obviously, but you know, throw a bit of inflation on there. You're probably looking at a hundred now. Yep. And after that, happiness doesn't increase much more. It's just like the the way I look at it, even for myself, is once I hit what I wanted to hit financially, the next thing was how do I continue to earn this, but get time back to you know do the challenges I want to do, or spend more time with my wife, or travel and do those things, because that then becomes a game as opposed to working harder and trying to grow your income it's just like how do i get time back yeah 100 percent. and time's the most valuable asset like that's that's the one thing that you're never going to have more of you can you can always try and make more money or whatever it is but when your time's up your time's up and you never know when that's going to be so that's that's the um i read a good book on that which was called die with zero zero sorry not oh, it's zero. Great. <laughs> yeah die with zero, zero is a great yeah the, <laughs> the mo's getting book. caught in your lips yeah look how long it is mate i, I might need a little trim <laughs> soon. i love it i love it man <laughs> yeah so die but with that, zero and yeah that's a great book and it talks about why make all this money through your lifetime to then chuck it all away or give it to your kids or whatever when they can make their money or and it's like you could eventually die and your kids get your inheritance, but you don't get to see what those your kids do with the money. So while you got the money, why not give it to the kids whilst you're alive to actually help them mm. maybe invest or whatever it is rather than passing away, then they've got this large sum of money and then they just go and blow it all. Whereas you could have slowly given them 10 grand a year to help them out doing whatever and actually had a bigger positive impact on their life. Yeah, I... Uh- I um, hope my parents listened to that bit of advice there. Yeah. (laughs) Took me a bit of money, mate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But even, dude, like think about the stories you're going to have when you're, you know, you're 60, 70, 80 plus of like the crazy stuff that you've done, the risks that you've taken. You're not going to be sitting around talking about the fact that you made X amount of money. Like your grandkids or your kids aren't going to give a shit about that. They want to hear the cool stories, man. 
Yeah, and that's actually I, I went for a run this morning, and for some reason this thing popped in my head. It was like your future self will wish you'd done more when you were younger, and like it's probably I don't know someone else has probably said it, but for some reason it just like popped into my head, and I was like, it's so true. Like you look at where you're going to be in ten years' time or whatever, and like I'm only twenty five now. It's like this is meant to be your glory day. So you should be doing so much more with your time. Like, and that's the thing, like you should just go and do whatever you speak to people when they're 50 and they're 60 and they're like, Oh man, the, to do like, if I could go back to the age of 25, the stuff that I do. So yeah, it's a hundred percent about just trying to do as much as you can in this little time, I guess. Yeah. Literally a bloke said to me, um, probably eight months ago now when we were talking about my business and he's like, you know, you could really scale that to a million dollar a year business. I'm like, yeah, I know I could. And he's like, well, why don't you? I'm like, well, because that would mean I'd have to spend more time on it, more coaching, more X, Y, and Z. And it means then I can't do the fitness stuff that I love doing because I can always earn more money. But there comes a time and a place like, you know, after sort of 40, you start losing a lot of your speed. So you can't do a lot of that (laughs) fast work. That's when I'll start getting into triathletes and Ironmans and all that, my endurance events. But thanks, mate. I've still got this. Is that a bit of a stat? No, nah, you peaked early, bro. No. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've thought about a lot of that because it's like when, once again, when you think about what you want from your life and the experiences and the stories that you want to be able to tell, for me, I've been like, okay, well, there's a timeline. I regret retiring from rugby when I did because as much as I could go back now, I haven't played for 10 years. My body wouldn't like it. But I don't want to make that same mistake again when I'm 40 and not being able to do 400 meters or, you know, yeah. all these other things that I'm doing at the moment. I've got a timeline for that. So, Business will continue to tick along, but as long as I have the freedom to do what I want and, and be a good man and have great friends and you know have a roof over my head, life's pretty good. A hundred percent, man. And that's the thing, like you strip life back to its simplest form and it's like how how do you be happy? You like surround yourself with good people, you keep active. Like there's it's not much to make someone happy, but some everyone thinks there's this secret ingredient that once you get this much money and you get this car or you get this I don't know, laptop or whatever it is, like that you're going to have be happy, but it's really not. Like being happy is a very simple thing if you strip it down to the smallest things, the smallest matters, having great people around you. Yeah, it really is. It can be such a simple task. Literally. Yeah, the hard part's not getting distracted. So with the Ironman, what was a drive obviously you saw iron cowboy and i watched his doco as well and i was like that dude's insane i saw another guy i think it was you who actually told me the guy who was on like ended up getting like 103 days or something you end up getting 105 so yeah so at the moment when i when i do go for that record eventually i'm looking at 106 at the moment so yeah i'm looking at that going shit how, how like it just gets bigger and bigger and like to be fair i think that's one of the well, i guess my motivation for it is in all seriousness, I think it's probably one of the toughest challenges there's, that's ever been done. Um, mm. Some people say like, like I really don't think anything else has been done that is harder than backing up Ironman after Ironman for 105 days. I, I really don't think um, you look at some of these people that do these big runs and everything like that. For, for In my experience, I, I just don't think that that could be topped at the moment. Um there's some some people running around the world and um, people running across Africa and that that say they're doing averaging between sixty to sixty k a day. These people are going and doing like a three point eight k swim, one hundred and eighty k bike ride, followed by a forty two k run. 
so for a hundred yeah. hundred days plus in a row so for me that like i was just i've just been drawn to that i don't know i've had this mentality of always growing up even when i was young playing footy like i was always one of the smallest people on the field but i've always felt like i've had to prove myself and just that underdog mentality so when i saw and i did think that that would be the hardest thing possible to ever do i just got driven to it i was like if i can get that completed in my lifetime and say that i've done the physically hardest task ever i was like that's a pretty that's a pretty sick title to have to your name 100% what did the what did the training look like in the lead up to it and even the recovery because when you were talking about then like yeah the the runs and the there's a lot of phenomenal people doing a lot of phenomenal shit at the moment yep. like huge stuff but then when i think about what you just said then a, a, an average Ironman might take what 10 12 hours yeah like roughly if, if you can do a really good yeah i'd say the average time would be around 12 to 13 hours i reckon yeah for, for okay, like the so, average yeah. so like a really good time is under 10 but yeah you're doing yep. 12 13 hours at an average and then you've got to try and let your body recover enough to the point where it can actually sleep that was one of the things i realized from my marathons i was like yeah i'll be yep. able to sleep heaps and whatnot but your body's so fucked you yep. can't sleep like it doesn't it's like tingling and all kinds it's, it's, of it's nuts. It's, it's the weirdest shit. Like you would think that your body would be so exhausted, like you'd just fall asleep like that. And it gets to a stage where you're like literally laying there. And uh, that was one of the funniest things for me. I was sweating in bed and I'd have the air con on me. I'd have no sheets on and I'd just be laying there sweating. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, and it's, it's one of those things like, and I found it sort of hit me harder after it. Once your body is like allowed to just have all this fatigue in you. You just feel like every, like you're laying there and like my legs are just throbbing. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it's it's definitely the, the challenge of it is recovery. And I found like one of the best things for me was like the ice baths. Like every day that I finished, I just go and hop in an ice bath for like 20 minutes just to try and cool everything down. Because I found that if I – there was a couple of days where I didn't get in the ice bath and that night I was so hot. So if I couldn't sleep, I was like, this is my biggest thing. So – trying to get into an ice bath and just have my core temperature down. Like, because especially around Brizzy, it's very hot, humid. And there was like some mornings, I think there was a morning after I didn't have an ice bath. And before I'd even got on the bike, I was literally just like covered in sweat. And I hadn't even started on the bike yet. And like, that's just how hot my body temperature, like my core temperature was just cooking. So yeah, there was little bits and pieces like that where it was, um, you've got to really prioritize recovery and try and work out what's going to be best for recovery. What were some other challenges you faced over the 36 days? Um, I guess like nutrition is a big thing. Um, yeah, like you constantly uh, – I actually didn't – I think I lost like half a kilo over, this, over the whole challenge. So when you're burning around 6,500 wow. calories a day, um, that means I've done a pretty good job at eating about 6,500 calories a day whilst also bike riding, swimming, running. So, yeah, it's definitely – that was one of the biggest challenges of – like you just have to force yourself to eat. Like I'd sit down for yeah. lunch and it's 34 degrees and you don't really want to eat, which is different to American temperature. I don't know what that would be over there in America. but Yeah, yeah it's, it's like 70, 70 or 90, 90 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So like you literally sit down and I've got my pasta and I'm like, I don't want to eat, but it's like you know you've got to eat or else you're just going to feel like shit. Like the first day I went out with having, I think all I had was like a chicken wrap for lunch between the bike and the run. And I went out on the run with 
no food as well. So by the time that I got back on the first run, after the first day, I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is going to go south, like real south, real quick. Like, um, But then, yeah, we, by day four, day five, it was like, okay, this is how much food we've got to eat in this like amount of time. And it's like, you've got no choice. So I just eat as much as I could. Like literally it was, it wasn't even a healthy diet because you're just trying to get as many calories in as you can. So I was waking up, I was eating two peanut butter and honey sandwiches before I'd swim. I'd get out and have like a big thing of protein oats. And then like I'd be eating brownie for breakfast and drinking like just cut calorie water. So I was just drinking carb waters on the bike. So between my three bottles, I was getting 900 calories on a bike just through drinking. Wow, that's um, unreal. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd have like 20 snakes on the bike ride, um, packets of chips, just LCM bars, just like everything that was just full of sugar and full of calories I was eating. And then like the biggest thing was then when you go out and try and run, you feel like you're going to throw up the whole run. So I'd get to like 13K and I'd be like trying to stop myself from throwing up because if you throw up, then you lose all those calories that you've just eaten for yeah. the day. So yeah, that was um that was certainly one of the biggest challenges. And I guess like one of the biggest challenges also was I just getting up every single day. I'd found that I'd get out of bed and I'd go and sit. I've got a step near my bed and I'd just like sit on the step. And that was like the first step of the day. So I'd get there and I'd be there for like five minutes, just like thinking, why am I going out to do this? And I guess for me, it's one of those things like tying it back to that having cystic fibrosis as the main um, charity for this fundraiser. I was like, people living with cystic fibrosis don't get a say in how they get to live their life. So I'd sit there, I'd look at myself in the mirror and go, you're doing this for a reason more than yourself and get out there and go and do it for them. Um, And then, yeah, it's one of those things as well. Once you put it out there and you tell everyone that you're going to do 36 half Ironmans, you want to fucking do that. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a man of my word, and I was like, let's fucking get it done, I guess. What was was there one standout moment where you've considered pulling the pin, or that never never crossed your mind? I, I wouldn't say pulling the pin was ever going to happen, but there was a couple of days where um, I think the worst days are when it's super windy. So I think mm-hmm. I think it was day eleven, and it the wind was it was so windy, like I was. Normally on my bike, when I push 200 watts on the bike, I go about 30K an hour. And this one day I was pushing 200 watts on the bike and I was going 23K an hour. So I was like doing the same amount of effort to go 7K an hour slower. And I was just there going, like I was literally screaming at the wind. Um, Then my bike chain fell off. um, So I had to fix up my bike. And it was just like everything just felt like it was against me that day. Um, But yeah, in all in all, there wasn't, too many days where I thought I was going to quit, but there was a lot of days where it's just a tough grind. And some days you just don't want to talk to anyone. Some other days you're wishing you had people around to talk to. And um, I found that for me, my focus was just all over the shop. I was trying to maybe listen to music sometimes, listen to a podcast or whatever. But then other days it was just like, I just want to be by myself and not have people around me talking. So like I'd go out on three hour, three and a half hour bike ride. I was taking sometimes and I wouldn't listen to anything or I'd find someone along the track and try and talk to him or whatever it was. And yeah, it was really, I think I just got stuck so much in my own headspace that I couldn't even control what I was thinking at most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you doing and like in the lead up to and during, did you do anything to, to sort of prep your mindset? Um, 
I wouldn't say like I guess with my training load, like I was training twenty eight hours a week, so um, I guess that in itself comes with a lot of prep to train your mind. Like um, yeah. one of my worst training sessions was we do like after a big week of training, and then Sunday was a double run day, so it was like fifteen k on Sunday morning, and then fifteen k on Sunday Arvo at about three o'clock in the Arvo. So. When no one else is doing nothing on a Sunday, Arvo, you're meant to be relaxing. That was like always my staple um, workout, I guess. It was always a big run on a Sunday, Arvo, out in the heat. And, yeah, like it was just one of those things. You don't really feel like doing it. And, yeah, you build up a lot of, um, I guess, that mental toughness. But then again, like I said, one of one of my biggest challenges um, I think that did help me a lot was the 75 hard was one of those biggest mental challenges for me where, uh, at the start of it, I didn't think I was going to do it. And then I look at how I did complete that. And then, um, yeah, then what has happened from there, the confidence that I've then grown in myself. So I think it's all about that little bits of confidence that I do get in myself about going and talking to strangers and whatever it is. I think all those bits and pieces that you put brick by brick by brick, and then you end up building that mental toughness in yourself and that confidence. That's awesome. And what made you choose cystic fibrosis? Like, why does that hold such a special place in your heart? Yeah, so I've got, um, well, I've got a, a, a big base of friends now with cystic fibrosis after doing the challenge for cystic fibrosis. But before that, um, I had a really good mate in Wollongong who lives with cystic fibrosis, Bradley Drybra. Um, he does yeah, a great I've had him job. on the show, Brad. He's a weapon. He's, he's awesome. Like, and his story is so good. So um, the, it's not good but the way he shares his story is awesome um mm. and yeah so me and him i actually met him in one of the first road comps i ever went to and me and him just got chatting and um we went for brekkie after it and he put out all his tablets and i was like oh like i was like i don't want to be nosy i don't want to ask questions um and then yeah i found he like i found out brad's podcast and i started listening to a couple of his things and i was like oh he's got cystic fibrosis and i was like oh like just my instant thought was like oh it can't be that bad then if he was out running 10k with me it can't be that bad. Um, but then I actually started looking into what cystic fibrosis actually meant. And yeah, it's, it's really a silent disease. So a lot of their work with cystic fibrosis is done of a morning and an afternoon. Like they've got to always do physio um, to clear out their lungs. And um, yeah, like there's many of different, the thing with cystic fibrosis is it's a whole, that no one, no two people with cystic fibrosis have the same condition. So everyone's different. Like Brad himself, he has CF, then he also has liver disease um, and he's got something else. I can't remember exactly what it was. So he's got, he's got three um, conditions that he's got to deal with that have led from CF. Um, and then, yeah, there's different grades of CF as well. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it's really a silent disease that no one talks about because they don't feel entitled to talk about and, yeah, it was one of those things that once I met Brad and me and Brad got along great, and then I've also got a mate up here, Rory Morgan, who was the first person with cystic fibrosis to complete an Ultraman, um, which is a 10K swim, 300K, oh, sorry, no, 450K on the bike, and then an 84K run. So he that's over three days. So he was the first person with cystic fibrosis to complete oh. that. Wow. Um, yeah, which is amazing. Wow. Um yeah, so just having those people around me, I was like, I feel like cystic fibrosis has to get more light shown on it. Um, and, yeah, that was that was a big challenge for me. Over, over my challenge, I was trying to share as many stories as possible of people living with cystic fibrosis. 
Yeah, that's an awesome thing. I think you raised what forty two plus thousand dollars, which forty five thousand ended up at. Yeah, which was yeah, yeah well was done, great. man. That's yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. it's good when you know. I think it's always awesome when people like yourself do those things to raise awareness for uh, areas that aren't getting as much um, notice because obviously we're all impacted by yeah. There's so so many things going on in people's lives. So to shine light on things that maybe don't get as much recognition or have as much understanding is a good one to do. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask as well because uh, I know a lot of our audience are are busy men uh, in their corporate careers and you know, trying to climb the corporate ladder and they don't make time for things that are important. There's always excuses there around time. You were doing, let's, what, six hours plus of exercise a day plus then recovery on top of that. Yep. How did you manage to make your relationship work as well? Yeah, yeah. So that was, um, I guess, me and my girlfriend, we actually have a very good uh, open relationship where we will talk about er- anything and everything. And this is one thing that we'd actually spoken about before the challenge. So um, I guess it's all about setting boundaries and what to expect during it. So we knew that I wasn't going to be my normal self after completing six and a half to seven hours of training. Oh, well, oh, not of training, of the half Ironmans every day. And I guess it's just being moody and whatever it was. So for me, we'd already had this discussion that if there does come to a stage where I don't need a girlfriend and I need more of a, more of a partner or like a partner in crime, I guess for those, however many days, then that's what I was going to have to come to, which I didn't end up having to come to that stage, but there was a lot of time where our communication wasn't as good as it normally is. Like now we've got great communication. We can talk about anything. And that's what, that's one of our best things. Like, one of my best traits that I think about my girlfriend is like, she's so open about everything. Like the first time that we met, we're talking about stuff that I've never spoken to anyone about. So yeah, I think it's all about setting realistic boundaries and then also being super open, like having nothing on the, like putting all your cards out on the table and saying, this is who I am. This is the worst bits of me. This is hopefully the best bits of me. Um, But yeah, like it's all about being super honest and, just setting bound like expectations because if you don't set those expectations, then you're really you're setting yourself up for failure. I think. Yeah, definitely. Some great points there, and I love the communication piece because quite often people neglect that. They just hope that their partner understands or they assume they should get it, and it's like no, no, no. that's why this we have such high divorce rates, or or even couples that are still together, but they just fucking resent each other. So and I that's was curious as, well. as how you did all of that. It's all about having that tough conversation at times as well. Like with my girlfriend, she's a, a high level swimmer. Um, yeah. And this is just going on um, the other day. And I could tell she was coming back in the day, like back in the door every day, I guess, sort of not happy about her training and that. And for me, I knew this is a tough topic for me to talk to her about because she's been swimming her whole life. So it's like, I, I've got, I've got no idea about swimming. I, I suck at swimming and, but it was more about me trying to be there for her to talk to. So it was me. I was like, as much as this is going to feel weird for her, I'm like, is everything going okay with swimming and X, Y, Z. And it was a tough conversation for her to then have, but it allowed her to then trust on me a lot more. So mm-hmm. it was, and it's always t- tough conversations that we do have that I think, Sometimes you just got to rip the band-aid off and it's not going to be anywhere near as hard as if you, you let that go down the track three years down the track, 
And then it's like all these communication breakdowns. You're just better off ripping the Band-Aid off and having those tough conversations. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what's next for you? Um, well, yeah, two weeks' time I'm doing a 60K run. Um, so I'll get that out of the way. Um, and then, yeah, I think at the moment I've just been in this really happy place of sort of just training for an hour every day with my friends, being really social. But, yeah, there, there is a – I think next year it'll be more about trying to sort of train for maybe like an event that might be over the space of two or three days, I think, Um, or maybe a big event, maybe a big run, I think could be in the cards as well. Maybe something um, around a hundred mile or plus. So maybe 200 K I think, or if not a bit more, just really see how far I can push the body. Um, But yeah, I think for me next year, a big focus is just, uh, I just want to try and see how far I can push the body in one big one big go. So it's like whatever I decide that that thing is, um, I'm just going to see how far my body can actually get pushed in the space of one, two or three days and just really see, um, yeah, because like I said, like I, I, over 36 days, but I was having times of recovery, but I just want to see once I can really set my mind on something, how far where is the actual limit where is the end that you get to a stage where you just got nothing left in the tank and because i really think even over my challenge there was some days that like i said i found were hard but there wasn't any days where i was going to quit so i want to get to the stage where it's like you're telling yourself to quit and you've already told told yourself to quit another 10 times before that and i want to see where that where that mark lies where it's like all right that's that's your limit And yeah, then hopefully, hopefully it's a long way away, but yeah, it could also be a lot sooner than you think. And you go, holy shit, you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. I I think the beautiful thing about that, and I love that because I'm very similar, is even if you do fail and you do quit, you know what you need to do better next time. It could be the nutrition. You know, when I was doing the uh, marathons as well, rowing, I rode a few before um, I started the challenge and there was things like gripping like wearing gloves i was like i'll never wear gloves that's lame (laughs) i was like if i don't do that i'm going to be bleeding everywhere then it was like how to um position your you know your hips so your ass doesn't hurt and then like getting chafed under the armpits like all these things that i wouldn't have known had i not you know possessed uh started and failed at a few of them and then been like okay this is how i'm going to improve it next time i think there's the the possibilities that come from failure are huge yeah, and but there's Lane, someone who talks about, um, I can't yeah. remember who it was, but yeah, they talk about doing one tough challenge every year so that the rest of the year looks easy. I can't remember who was, uh, I think it might be Jesse Itzler. Is that how you say his name? He's awesome, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. So he, he talks about doing that one tough thing every year that like makes the rest of your year look easy. So I yeah. think that's a great thing to look at. And, it, if, and that's the thing, you look at, back to that time and you go, holy shit, like I was able to actually do that. And then, yeah, you surprise mm. yourself and you can use that in other areas of your life. And where can people find you on social media? Uh, so on Instagram, on Instagram, um, I'm under Lano, L-A-Y-N-E-O underscore Insano, I-N-S-A-N-E-O. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where I put up all most of my stuff on Instagram and, yeah, that's where you can find me. Cool. I'll have that linked in the show notes, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. Once again, congratulations on not only setting the world record but raising the funds for a good cause as well. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Man That Can Project podcast. 
My name is Lockie Stewart, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. If you did, please take a moment to rate and review the Man That Can Project on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with our newest episodes. We'll see you again next time.